Hello and welcome back to The Lab. This is 538's NBA podcast and you're listening to part two of our NBA playoff preview in which we talk about the Eastern Conference. My name is Neil Payne. I write about sports for 538. I will be your host and I'm joined as usual by my co-podcasters on the line from Chicago. We've got 538's Chris Herring. Hey, Chris. Hey, Neil. And here in studio, fellow 538 sports writer Kyle Wagner. Hey. Hey. So, ready to talk about the other half of the playoffs. Yesterday we talked about the West. Now we'll be covering the Eastern Conference, and we'll once again dive into everything you need to know about the first-round matchups. For those who didn't listen to Part 1, here's how it works. For each series, I'm going to tell you guys the odds that 538's Carmelo prediction model gives to the favorite, and you'll have to tell me why you think that that's too high or too low. Then we'll also talk about what you're watching for in the series that might have bigger implications for the entire playoff landscape. Let's go. First up, we've got the Toronto Raptors, the one seed in the East against the number eight seeded Washington Wizards. For that matchup, our Carmelo system gives the Raptors a comfortable 91% chance of winning. Too high or too low, guys? Yeah, that sounds, uh, that sounds almost exactly right. The, the Wizards have lost nine of 12. Uh, like Wall had missed a long stretch. He came back for a few games, has been in and out of the lineup, has not looked great. Uh, I, I don't see this team getting it together. The Raptors are playing really well right now. Um, if they lose another game one, I will be surprised for once. Uh, I, I think, yeah, it's, this is an easy, easy call for the Raptors. Uh, 91% seems really, really high to me. And yeah, that, that definitely involves a bias of, of what we've seen before. What is it? Eight game ones in a row they've lost. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, obviously Toronto's played really, really well. Washington has been a struggle bust the whole season. Uh, Wall and a bunch of other guys, you know, have not been playing all that well, really. Uh, but I still think that, you know, based on the fact that they split a season series, one game Wall didn't even play in, at least one game he didn't play in during his latest injury. Um, you know, Washington matches up with them pretty well just as far as who's on the court, who's going to be covering whom. I, I don't think they're a terrible matchup for Toronto. Um, I, I think they'll probably challenge Toronto in some ways, and I think sometimes their shots might come a little bit easier than Toronto's will. Uh, so I I would probably put it somewhere more like 75 or 80%, and I'd feel more comfortable with that number and saying Toronto. Uh, you know, I expect them to maybe close the series out in six, but uh, 91 is high. I mean, I know that they're basically a 60-win team this year, but 91% is really, really, really high. Do you think maybe that is a good thing, though, for, for Toronto if they're trying to kind of, you know, get a warm-up and, and play their way into playoff form, that they are facing a team that's actually not a walkover in the first round, that we might get to see them uh, be able to execute at, at playoff levels and, and might give them more of a preparation than if they were playing some worse cupcake? So I, where Chris and I disagree here is I, I would agree with him if the Wizards were in better form, but they are a disaster and they have been a disaster for a while over. The, so they are the cupcake. Like I, I think they are the cupcake. I, over the final month of the season, they've been in the bottom third in offense and defense. Uh, like this is just to me like not an actual playoff. Like this is, uh, this is like the the eight seeds in the East of of you know past years where. Uh, and which is a shame because, you know, we would like to see what this team can do, you know, when it's at its best, when it's, you know, performing at the level to which, you know, uh, the team certainly thinks it can perform. Um, but over the final month of the season, they just haven't looked like a, like a good team, even, uh, let alone a team that can, you know, challenge the Raptors, I think. I, I mean, they've, they've been playing with two different teams, basically, one with John Wall, one without. And a lot of the time they look better without Wall. 
um, which, you know, creates its own debate whenever that happens, whenever the Bulls are winning without Derrick Rose, the Lakers without Kobe, although the Kobe stuff was actually accurate at the time. Um, you know, it, it's just one of those things where they, they could do it, theoretically. Um, you know, it would take probably a Herculean effort from the Wizards, and it would take some consistency from the Wizards, which we haven't seen from them really in the longest. And so I agree with Kyle that it would it would be a massive upset. I don't expect it to happen, but I've seen crazier things happen. Um, you know, th- this, this Wizards team is really, really strange. I, I could see it. It would take Toronto really melting down for it to happen. We've seen that happen too, but I, I don't see it happening over a seven-game series where they just don't ever get it back together. Yeah, and Toronto hasn't lost in the first round in three years uh, in the playoffs, certainly not since they sort of reached this echelon that they're currently in. So assuming that Toronto is the, the heavy favorite, what are you guys watching for out of them in this particular series? Will we sort of answer any of the questions that I know that we had about them when we covered them last week? We sort of dove into... All the question marks that might surround this team's fitness to make a true championship run. Are we going to learn anything about that in this series, or is that still going to have to wait? And and all those questions kind of are yet to be revealed. Um, so I want to see Kyle Lowry uh, just have a good series against this team specifically, because you know, while I think you know it's a not a matchup that's you know going to give them any problems uh, matchup wise. Uh, Kyle Lowry is, you know, an undersized guard who you know, can have trouble against bigger guards. And the backcourt for, uh, for Washington is a large backcourt like John Wall, like Beal, uh, Sadoransky when he's in there. Uh, these are guys who, uh, could, th- you could see, you know, Lowry struggling against. So it would be good to see him, you know, you know, kind of brush that off and just have, have a nice series. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the guard play for the Raptors is normally, you, you know, you can pretty much take a straight line and say that, if the Raptors are struggling to win a game and the series are really struggling to create offense, it's because their guards aren't shooting well. Those guys have horrible postseason field goal percentages. Um, so that's one thing. What I'm looking at, and I think I mentioned this in the last podcast, is that I I just want to see how they handle their bench because that's really, if not the biggest strength of their team, you know, year over year, the second biggest strength from their team year over year. And how, how deep do they want to go into their rotation, given that most teams shorten it? They've actually got the depth to where they could keep their team the same. Um, and I'm curious to see whether they choose to do that, whether they try to ride their starters a, a bit more. Um, but what sorts of advantages are they trying to use from the regular season and trying to extrapolate and use for the postseason as well? That's what I'm interested in seeing. Okay, so what's your pick, Chris? I would go Raptors in six here. I mean, I think they'll they'll win it handily. Maybe the, the Wizards win a game, maybe two. I think it's a sweep. I think Raptors in four. Yeah, so for what it's worth, wow. according to our model, there's a 32% chance uh, of the series ending in four games and a 67% chance of it ending in four or five games. So it does seem to be on the shorter end of the spectrum for first-round series. Okay, let's move on uh, down the bracket and talk about the number four versus the number five. That is, of course, the Cleveland Cavaliers against the Indiana Pacers. And this seems like a really, really interesting series to me. 72% chance in the model for the Cavs. Cavs, uh, do you guys think that that's too high or too low? Uh, that seems, I mean, that seems about right. Uh, you, you know, might might want to nudge that up a few a few points, but ooh, I mean, it's tough to go lower than that, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's it's hard to go lower, but like Depot's just been really really good. The Pacers have been really really strong all season, and well, not all season, but like Oladipo has been very good all season. We talked about him last week of like players don't play like this 
often and when they do this early in their career they tend to stay at like kind of an all pro level that said lebron is you know more than all pro level that they and you know the Cavs have been playing better in the last few weeks um so yeah i mean i'd say uh, yeah that's about right like in the 75 to whatever range yeah i i like the pacers a lot more than that in this series um I would probably put it somewhere closer to 60-40 in favor of the Cavs. I mean, which is, you know, at that point you're almost at 50-50. So it, regular season doesn't mean that much. We've watched LeBron's team struggle uh, in the regular season. I want to say there was that one year, that year the Nets were expected to be really, really good, which, you know, feels like forever ago, where I want to say they swept the, uh, swept the Heat and then, you know, ended up playing in a playoff series, and I want to say the Heat swept that series. So you can't really take the regular season matchups and make too much of it, but the, the Pacers won the season series three games to one. Um, you know, th- their records are about the same. Uh, and, you know, really the Pacers don't seem to be afraid of them at all. Oladipo, it'll be interesting if he gets really hot at some point, does LeBron take that assignment on defensively? If that's the case, how much does LeBron have to give offensively? Um, you know, I, I just think it could be an interesting series. Um, Kevin Love should be a big, big enough difference maker in the series. I think to, to kind of provide enough difference to, to put them over the top here, but it's, it's going to be a tighter series than what people think. I think people forget too. last season. Um, I want to say the Pacers Cavs series was the closest sweep in NBA history where I think, you know, the four games that the Cavs won in that series were separated by like a grand total of like 11 points or something like that. So, uh, you know, this is not the exact same roster. Oladipo replacing Paul George and a number of other players as well. But the, the Pacers, for whatever reason, tend to play the Cavs pretty well. And I don't know if it's the, the Cavs take them lightly, but I, I don't expect this to be a runaway. I don't expect it to be a sweep by any means. Do you think it's fair to characterize this as one of the series where we will learn the most about the favorite uh, in terms of kind of figuring out where Cleveland is at? Because we've talked about uh, all season long about the ups and downs of this Cavs team. It's been very difficult to pin down, m- more so even than other previous regular seasons where it's been difficult to pin down how good the Cavs are. That in this particular season, it's been incredibly tough to say how good they are and what kind of form they're going to play with. So it seems like Indiana, as a first-round test, will tell us quite a bit about the state of the Cavs, assuming that they, you know, do uh, should be favorites and do win the series. Yeah, I think so. So we talked about um, at the trade deadline when you know the Cavs, you know, made their you know big uh, transformative you know trade uh, that the kind of the ceiling had been lowered on this team to where they were no longer looking to where like can we compete with the warriors can we compete with the rockets it was more like can we get out of the east like can we put ourselves in a cha- in a situation where we can you know just uh give ourselves you know a chance you know whatever of uh, once we're in the finals and so in the past seasons we wouldn't learn all that much when you know they would just beat the tar out of the raptors beat the tar out of uh out of the celtics or whomever this season we don't know if like they can get up there to where they can you know just separate themselves from other teams in the east and so like we need to see if they can you know find that same offense when Kevin Love's out there you know just making the team different and they have only lost twice since Kevin Love came back from a from a long stretch that I think they're 10 and 2 uh, he missed a game in there also but um so yeah like Kevin Love makes them a different team they are much better with him in there um they're good when he's you know playing the five that has uh, been their best lineup over the past several seasons that's still been good for them this season even though they you know have Larry Nance in there to to give them what they had kind of in 2015 also 
Uh, so I think, yeah, we're going to learn a lot about the Cavs, but I think the Cavs, um, have shown over the last uh, few weeks that like they can get there. Um, and they have a chance of getting there too. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what we're really going to learn here a little bit, maybe not as much as we could, if it was a different matchup for them, uh, can the Cavs overcome just how crappy this defense is? I mean, so the season ended yesterday. They finished lower than any team that's ever won a championship will have finished. And I would venture to guess lower than any team that's ever made a finals will finish. Uh, 29th out of the 30 teams in the league defensively. In a year where everybody was trying to tank. That is horrible. And, um, you know, the Pacers won't exactly put a ton of pressure on them all the time. Oladipo will because that's kind of his game. He likes to get to the basket. But, you know, and I wrote about this a couple weeks ago. The Pacers take more mid-range shots than any team in the league kind of by a long shot. Um, they're basically the anti-Rockets in the sense that the Rockets take seven or eight percentage points fewer shots from mid-range than the average team in the league. The Pacers take about seven or eight percentage points more mid-range shots than any the average team in the league. And so uh, sometimes they're not putting as much pressure on a defense as they possibly could. Uh, I think this would be a good series to try to change that up and to try to get to the basket because at times the Cavs are going to be trying to maximize their own offense and putting Kevin Love out there as their five-man, if you're doing that, you've got to try to attack the rim. You've got to try to take advantage of the fact that the Cavs are going to have a soft defense in the middle. So because of that, I'm curious to see how much resistance do they show. They're going to have a new look, but I'm not convinced that this is a walkover for the Cavs at all. I definitely would not put them at 75 or 76. I really think the Pacers have a chance to steal this series. To your point, Chris, about the defense, it's funny. So, yeah, you, you mentioned they finished 29th in defensive rating, according to basketballreference.com. So uh, the three worst teams to ever make an NBA Finals defensively, at least in terms of their ranking, were the 2015 Cleveland Cavaliers, who were 18th in defensive rating that season. The 2001 Lakers, which is another famous kind of loafing team that flipped the switch in the playoffs, 21st, they were 21st. Like and then yeah. the 2017 Cleveland Cavaliers were also 21st. So the Cavs have a history on the one hand of making the uh, the finals with really, really poor defenses. At the same time, 29th would be kind of another order, uh, order of magnitude beyond uh, what they've already made it with. And yet at the same time, we should mention that this is maybe not to the same degree as the Warriors who we talked about yesterday, but this is another kind of big gulf between what the Vegas odds think and what a statistical system like the one that we have think about the chances of winning. We only give the Cavs a 14% chance of winning the East uh, right now. And if you look at the sports books, it's about 45% for them to win the East, which on the one hand is lower than they've been in a long time. A LeBron team has been in a long time to win the East going in, uh, according to the betting markets. And at the same time, it's a makes them a pretty handy favorite over the number two ranked Raptors, who are only at 29%. So it is another very interesting and very, uh, you know, could go either way Cavs team uh what what do you guys think for this series if you had to make an official prediction uh how long is it going to go and who do you have man like it is tough to go so I would say Cavs in six um but like so to Chris's point that like you wouldn't put it at you know 75 it's a real chance 75 percent is a real chance for for a team I think like I don't think it's exactly even I think that the Cavs um, just by virtue of, you know, experience and, you know, just being a better, t- much better team than their, you know, underlying metrics because Kevin Love is back and he's missed a bunch of time. Yeah. But, but yeah, like the, the Pacers absolutely have a, have a real shot at this series. I think the Cavs 
will and should take it. And I think, you know, six games make sense. I wouldn't be surprised, uh, you know, to see seven, uh, also though. Yeah. No, I'll agree with Kyle here. I mean, I think the Cavs still win the series, but the more I talk about it and hear myself talk out loud, I mean, I, I kind of feel like it would be a smart investment to just throw a couple dollars down on the Pacers just because they could win the series and, and you figured, Hardly anybody outside of Indiana is really probably going to give them a chance to do that. So, um, so I mean, I think, you know, it's not, it wouldn't be Loyola if they win this series. We'd talk about it like it was, <laughs> but it, it, you know, this is a team that all season basically has kind of played above expectations. All season has played very well against Cleveland. All season has had a star player out there. Um, so, so no, they're not going to be expected to win the series. I don't expect them to, but if they do it, you know, let it be known that that I wasn't someone that would was going to be totally shocked by it. Chris, yeah, uh, uh, I'm looking at VegasInsider.com. Uh, you can get 500 to 1 odds on the Pacers to uh, win the NBA championship. You should get in on that. I'm not doing all that. But be, I, I don't think you have to. You don't. <laughs> you could beat the Cavs this year without being the NBA champion. Yeah. They're just not. They're not that great. They're they're good. But they're not that great. They played much better of late, but they're not that great. Yeah. And, uh, we should say, according to our model, uh, the most likely length of this series is five games, uh, and the Cavs are certainly favorites, but there's a greater than 50% chance that it goes six or seven. So I think that jives with what you guys said earlier. All right. Let's move on to the next series. It's a number three seed Philadelphia 76ers against the number six seeded Miami Heat. Right now, our system, which is uh, pretty absurdly high on the Sixers, and I'll let you guys weigh in on whether that's warranted or not. We give Philly an 88% chance of winning this particular series, though. Uh, do you guys think that that's too high or too low or just about right? That is too high. Uh, the, so 88 is, uh, high for a number of reasons. Like th- this is, as, uh, you and Chris have written, uh, an incredibly inexperienced team, uh, which, you know, playoff experience, uh, you know, shows its, you know, shows its teeth in various ways. For me, the way that, uh, playoff team, especially for teams and not players, is you're, you're giving yourself exposures. And what that means is you're, you're finding out like where, where the cracks are in, in a team, like what you need to get better at, what you need to, uh, change personnel or change scheme or, you know, change skill sets for players in the offseason. And so the Sixers haven't had to do that. Most notably, Ben Simmons not being able to shoot a jumper outside of, you know, the length of his arm. Did he make uh, a three this year, uh, when all was said and done? Nope. Zero no, no, threes. he did not. Uh, didn't really take them on purpose either. And so that, that is a thing that is for the first time going to be coming under scrutiny in a series where a team is like scheming specifically for that. And not just any team, it's Eric Spolster and the Miami Heat. And so we're going to, to jumping ahead a little bit, we're going to find out a lot about if that makes sense. Uh, but to put it at 88 just based on, you know, um, the strengths of victories and whatever else. And the, the Sixers have had like a ridiculous end of the season. Yeah, they've won 16 consecutive games going into the playoffs, which is the longest in NBA history for a team right before the playoffs. So that is one of the reasons probably why our model is so high on them. But th- there is a lot we don't know about what this team looks like when someone is scheming against them, let alone what's going on with Embiid and the mask in his face and whatever else is going around. Yup. Ding, ding, ding. That's what I would hit on actually more than anything is that Embiid getting back and kind of getting back into a rhythm. He's missed a decent amount of time now. Uh, I mean, I guess he's kind of used to that, and this isn't something where it's his knee or anything like that. But, you know, when do they get him back? Is, is he there for game one? Um, you know, first of all, they played – this is a good Miami defense, uh, a pesky Miami defense that won't really be that taken aback by what they're going to see from Philly, I don't think. Um, 
Philly has more talent, hands down. I mean, that's why they're going to be a really sexy pick to come out of the East, I think, from some people. Um, you know, as people question the Cavs and LeBron and everything, what have you. Um, but like Kyle said, Spolstra is going to be one of the best, if not the best guy in the whole conference, I think. It's scheming something to try to stop Simmons or trying to neutralize Simmons and his, his, um, deficient, you know, the, the idea that he's not going to take jump shots. And so there's that element of it. There's the fact that they have guys that can guard these people, um, you know, or at least find ways to kind of scheme and double from time to time. Uh, so I, I mean, I like Miami's chances of making this a, a series more so than what people think it will be. Uh, Philly has a lot more talent, but Miami has more experience. Miami has a coach that is kind of used to this sort of thing and finding ways to try to neutralize a really high-powered offense. So I, I like Miami making it a series. I still like Philly to win it, but I, I'm extremely interested to watch the series. I think it'll be a lot of fun to watch from a scheme standpoint. Right, and that personnel like is important, though. It's not just that they have players who match up. Well, they have players who match up very well. They have Josh Richardson, who like we've talked about briefly, but is has shown himself to be one of the best perimeter defenders in the league, if not the actual best. You know, guys like Robertson in the conversation, whatever, when he's healthy. Um, and they also have Hassan Whiteside, who, you know, is complaining about minutes, complaining about, you know, touches, whatever else, but he's still a guy who can, you know, get in there and bang with Embiid in a way that, like, relatively few, uh, guys in the league have, that relatively few teams have guys like that. Yeah, talk to me a little bit about the Heat because, uh, we're, we're guilty of this as much or more than anyone. I, I don't know if we devoted a single segment to the Heat during the season. Uh, but, but what are you guys watching for out of this team, particularly in this matchup against Philly? Uh, aside from some of the defensive matchups and things, uh, the, what, what about their, uh, offense are, are you thinking about, uh, when, when you watch them go to work against a Philly defense that, relies a lot on Embiid to kind of anchor things in the middle but then also Simmons has a lot of length on the at the point. I mean, one thing I'm paying attention to that I think stands out to them to me about them, Ellington comes off screens like he, he you have to watch a game of theirs just to see how active that guy is. I mean, for all the credit that JJ Redick gets, Ellington kind of does the same thing. Uh, you know, Covington is kind of like that too. But Ellington this is a team that doesn't really have I mean, Drogic obviously drives to the basket almost as much as any guard in the league, but it's a team that kind of relies on a lot of screens and, and, and Richardson and kind of the creativity from their offense to create looks because they don't really have a dominant scorer on this team. And so um, it'll be interesting to see, again, with a younger team, kind of how focused they're able to stay as as Miami is doing stuff behind the scenes and, and that Spolstra is drawing up stuff to try to get looks you know whether they're backdoor whether it's guys coming off of screens really furiously Sixers are going to have to be locked in here I mean they're one of the top five defenses in the league it's not to say they can't do it but this is going to be a whole new level of scrutiny that they're not quite used to this is a team that you know gets out to big leads and blows them a lot of the time Uh, we almost saw that happen against the Cavs but we did see it happen against the Warriors and several other teams during the course of the season. So they're, I mean, they're going to match up just fine, but it'll be interesting to see the way they handle the stage, the way they handle a team that has some experience to it. Um, and it'll be, it'll be fun just because this will be a team that, um, that really will test them and test Simmons in particular as far as the things he's not able to do and really making him beat them. So I think that's exactly right. I think that, you know, Spolster is going to, you know, do his best to, you know, put Simmons and Embiid whenever he shows up into positions, uh, that like they're not comfortable in. 
on the Heat side, it's a big question if they can just overcome the the physical discrepancies that that exist uh, across the lineup. Like Goran Dragic is like six two, six three. He's matching up against Ben Simmons, who's massive. And and this is the this is the thing about Embiid and Simmons is like most rookies come in and they're lost on defense. It takes a while for them to make an impact to to you know be of any use. Not Simmons certainly wasn't the case for Embiid. And so Simmons, yes, is a rookie, even, you know, whatever, air quotes, rookie. Uh, he, uh, you know, hasn't played in one of these series, but. Not under the Donovan Mitchell definition. But he is, um, just talented enough that he might swallow up Goran Dragic, which is a big problem when that happens. And so, like, is that, um, is Dragic going to be able to use the screens well, like, and just, you know, kind of get free? So yeah, we're going to learn about the Heat if like they can weather that. But the thing to also look at is Dwayne Wade like, came back to this team, you know, at the end of the season. But it's not just like a story of like, oh yeah, we were bringing Dwayne home. Since we, Deion Waiters was lost for the season, like they needed that kind of guard in in the second unit. And um, for the first few games, at least, he was uh, really productive. He had like I think a disastrous uh, game toward the end of the season, a few of them. But um, like he's serving a real a real role there, and like having. What a top three shooting guard of all time being um in your backup lineup uh where we we just saw a few years ago like he still like old man Dwayne Wade like came around and you know just beat the Hornets on his own for for a couple games like so this is a team that like is kind of made whole like it, by the end of the season like they ha- they're just fully functioning on a bunch of different levels yeah and to that point about Wade uh, and just the depth of Miami in general it does seem like Miami has just hordes of you know, good, solid players, whereas Philly is a team that's really top heavy and has, you know, some star power at the top, but maybe not as much depth, which, you know, you won't, you don't want to go into a series with that particular matchup and also be down your top big man, at least for game one, uh, at least according to reports that we're hearing right now, uh, it seems unlikely that Embiid will be able to play game one. So I think that sets this up to be a pretty entertaining series. Uh, if you had to make a pick, what would you pick, Kyle? Um, I see, I, I can see this, uh, going six or seven pretty easily. I will take, man, I, this is like, this is like actually a toss up to me. I, I, okay. I feel like this is, uh, close to 50 50. Um, I would say, give me the heat in seven. Wow. Chris. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll take, I'll take the sixers in, in six because I think that, frankly, with all those questions, they're kind of swirling anyway. I think they probably lose game one if Embiid's not there. I think it will take them time to kind of get up to speed with what the Heat are trying to do. Um, I know they've been hot lately, but I, I think that it'll it'll be a big environment for them. I mean, it'll help that they're at home. But I think that they'll drop at least one game just on, you know, the stage alone will be really big for them. They have a lot of vets, you know, uh, especially guys that are coming off the bench. But you figure it'll be the first time for Fultz, for Simmons. Um, and, you know, and I, I, I think we're all waiting to see how does Miami play against Simmons without the, the threat of a jump shot. And I, I think that's really might be the biggest question of the entire playoffs other than maybe when Steph gets back. Yeah. And we didn't even talk. You mentioned Fultz, uh, you know, what kind of role he'll play with his team as he's just barely working his triple way in, but became time. the youngest player ever to get a triple double. So, you know, a lot of potential, a lot of talent on the Philly side and, and a lot of intriguing possibilities with Miami as well. For what it's worth, according to our model, we say the most likely length of the series is five games, uh, with 
with a 63% chance that it goes five games or fewer. But then again, like we said at the top of the segment on this series, uh, our model is just crazy in love with Philly uh, and and has a pretty big recency bias too, which is one of the big reasons. It has the Sixers ranked as the fourth best team in basketball right now. So I'll have to see how that plays out, uh, given their inexperience, like you alluded to, Kyle, and the raft of other sort of things swirling around this team. Okay, let's close things up by talking about the number two seeded Boston Celtics and the number seven seeded Milwaukee Bucks. And this series is also really intriguing for a bunch of different reasons. Uh, our model gives the Celtics a 73% chance of winning, but our model doesn't know that Kyrie Irving is out, uh, and, and perhaps doesn't know that the best player in this series belongs to the Bucks in the form of Giannis Anadokounmpo. Guys, do you think that 73, I guess I should just ask, how, how much lower than 73% would you assign the Celtics odds in this series? I'm not sure they're the favorite. Um, so yeah, I, like obviously it doesn't know that like Kyrie's out. It doesn't know that they have like a host of other injuries. Also, it doesn't know that like Marcus Smart uh, still uh, like isn't uh, like he hasn't played again. Like I'm not sure like what his status is. Like he was hoping to get ready for the first round, but um, I don't think that's confirmed. And, like, again, so, like, this team is, like, we talked about the Blazers earlier, where, like, their defense comes and goes. Like, the Celtics' defense has really come and gone, and that has largely been to do with, like, when Marcus Smart is healthy and out there. And so, so yeah, I would say close to 50-50, or, like, if not, if, if anyone's a favorite, it should be the Bucks. I feel like. Yeah, just according to um, people on Twitter, uh, always a reliable source. Uh, if the Celtics go seven games in this series, Smart could potentially return for Game 7, but it seems unlikely that he would be back before then. So that does uh, add on to the Celtics' injury woes that, that kind of aren't being taken into account by that percentage that we threw out earlier. Yeah, I mean, there are two things here, just two massive gaps. I mean, one being that, you know, from an offensive standpoint, I mean, Horford, I love Al Horford. I think most of us do and recognize how valuable he is. But you're, you're talking about Giannis and, and then you're talking about Eric Bledsoe, too. Um, you know, maybe the two best players now, at least from an offensive standpoint, um, in the entire series. And, and so you're, you're talking about a pretty big gap here all of a sudden as far as the talent goes without Kyrie Irving, without Gordon Hayward. On the flip side of that, uh, you've got a guy that I think pretty roundly, widely considered will not be back in this job as a head coach, obviously an interim guy, and Joe Prunty. Uh, if he's the coach on the one side and then you've got Brad Stevens on the other side, I mean, that's probably a, one of the wider gaps you're going to have in the playoffs as a whole. Uh, Brad Stevens can win Boston a game or two if, if it's close. Uh, I mean, he's just that good. The plays he's drawing up, you know, the stuff that he schemes for um, and the stuff that he'll probably do to try to stop Giannis. I'm really interested to see how he does that. So, I mean, it, it, it kind of is a push. I'm, I'm kind of with Kyle on this. I mean, I would venture to guess that Boston finds a way to win the series, um, which I feel weird saying that because Giannis is so much the best player in the series, so easily the best player in the series. But, you know, Milwaukee is also wildly inconsistent. You know, probably the closest thing to what Kyle was saying before about Washington and just how, you know, they, they just can't put it together for a good length of time. Uh, you know, Milwaukee will play hard, uh, I think, you know, but I, you know, the more I think about it, man, like even Middleton in this series, you know, they, they have probably three of the four best players that are actually healthy in this series. So, I mean, it, it, it would make total sense if Milwaukee wins the series. For some reason, I feel like Boston will find a way to do it, and I think a lot of that has to do with Brad Stevens. 
Well, uh, Boston also has home court, we should say, in this. But sure. I think, to your point, yeah, when you run down the list of players that are on this Bucks roster, it, it's mind-boggling that this team was not better during the season. And they did play better after they fired Jason Kidd and they brought in Pronti as the uh, interim. But, you know, they still were just a little bit better than 500 over that stretch. And this team, I think, can be characterized as one of, if not the most disappointing, puzzling, enigmatic, however you want to describe it, teams in the entire NBA. And now we're kind of go, uh, us and others have kind of gone into this series and looked at it and been like, well, Giannis is just going to take over and he'll will them to win. But he hasn't really done that with as much consistency as maybe we thought possible during the regular season after his amazing start when it was sort of seemed uh, before Harden made his MVP push, it, it, people were talking about Giannis as being a potential, you know, MVP, this this being his sort of coming out party in that regard. And Milwaukee just never really put it together uh, as as the months went on. Right. And so we talked a lot about the, the, the Jason Kidd experiment on defense where he would swarm the ball like, you know, like everyone's trying to disrupt passing lanes. And, you know, they just gave up layup after layup after layup. Um, and then when he left, oh, yeah, there's, you know, the dead man's bounce of, oh, they, they improved play for a little bit. But if you look over the last month of the season, after the last, like, few months of the season, the defense just stayed bad. Like, the defense is still bad. Like, it was third to last over the final month. Uh, barely ahead of the Cavaliers, uh, only ahead of like Memphis and like I think the Clippers and someone else. So yeah, this team like has not just been inconsistent, um, like in its overall performance, it's been consistently bad on defense. And so if against a team like, you know, a Brad Stevens Celtics, even without Kyrie, you still have Al Horford, you know, setting all these, you know, illegal moving screens. You still have, you know, Tatum, you know, able to, you know, do some, some ISO work against all of your players who have shown that they cannot really guard in ISO. Um, I feel like, yeah, there's a, there's an, there's a, there's a lane through for the Celtics where, uh, the matchup can tilt in their favor, sure. Yeah. I mean, my, my biggest question here at this point is just exactly how are the Celtics creating their offense? I mean, they, they, they managed to win games and we talked about this a few weeks ago as well. They, they managed to win games. Their defense is just so good that they can lock you down to keep themselves in the game long enough to kind of, have these, you know, luck of the Irish sorts of wins that they've had, you know, the last few weeks, months, what have you. And Brad Stevens, again, you know, can kind of out-scheme you enough to, to buy a couple points here and there. But in a playoff setting, if the if the Bucks are decent defensively, they should win this series just because they're going to have so much more offense and they're going to have so much more versatility offensively. They don't have to go through Giannis all the time. They've got Parker, granted, you know, he's hurt. But man, like the, just the talent on this roster, when factoring that in against the injuries that Milwaukee has, or I'm sorry, that Boston has, they sh- they really should win this series. Uh, I mean, that, that's saying a lot given that Brad Stevens is on the other side. But talent-wise, I mean, this might be the biggest, especially without Kawhi there and against the Warriors. I mean, this is on close to the levels of you know the talent gap that Milwaukee has over Boston is pretty close to, I would almost say, what Golden State has over the Spurs. Maybe that's a little strong of a statement, but, I mean, they really should win this series, even though they're a younger team. There's no reason they shouldn't win this series with the guys that the Celtics have out, and I still feel better about the Celtics than I do about Milwaukee, and I don't know what that says about them. Okay, Chris, so then if you were making a pick, and it sounds like you're picking the Bucks, then uh, how many games would it take? Nope, I'm, I'm going with Boston. I don't know why. Just oh, you are gut, going with Boston. A gut feeling. It probably means I don't make any damn sense, but 
Um, I mean, I would go with Boston in seven here. I think they win it, you know, in their last game at home, home court advantage. But Milwaukee should win the series, but it probably tells you just how much change they probably need to make that, you know, that they haven't been able to put it together, that they haven't found a coherent scheme on defense that works, that, you know, on some level that they have to find a different uh, mesh with Giannis as it relates to somebody like Jabari Parker, um, who's going to be a free agent this year. So I, I don't know. I, I just feel like somehow Boston will find a way, and, you know, I think it'll take them all seven games to do it, but I think they'll do it. Um, yeah, I'm also going to pick Boston, which, you know, I said, like, if anything, if it's close, the Bucks should probably be a favorite, but, um, and, you know, anyone who tells you, I'll set the line here and I'll take some whatever doesn't know what they're talking about. So, sure, but I will take Boston. I think also Boston in seven. Um, and like we've talked about, you know, Giannis is coming out party. It's, it's going to be another one. He's had, you know, how many at this point already? Um, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have been shooting like incredible, like Brown since he came back after a long absence, Tatum all season, but especially down the stretch. I think Tatum is at like 43, 44% from three and just at like a good percentage from the floor also over the final month. Uh, Brown is shooting like 60% from three since he came back. Um, and you know, Marcus Morris also, um, having like a nice like post all-star break, uh, whatever. Um, this is a team that like, yeah, I'm not sure how they're going to, uh, continue generating, you know, playoff offense where, you know, you need the cutting edge that, you know, Kyrie obviously was going to give you. Uh, Rozier has, you know, done a version of that. Like the offense hasn't been great through him, um, especially not like his own shooting, but, uh, they have found a way so far. And like those, those rookies, like the, the rookie Tatum and like second year Brown have been very, very good. And like this is a chance where like, um, the question for earlier was like, uh, what are we learning about these teams going forward? Uh, maybe not for, you know, this season, you know, it being, you know, meaningful for the, pl- uh, championship race, but certainly for future seasons, um, and, you know, maybe any kind of possible trades that are in the work for Kawhi Leonard or whatever else, uh, we are definitely going to learn about, like, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Mm-hmm. And for what it's worth, uh, our model, which we mentioned earlier, doesn't know that Kyrie Irving is hurt. It thinks that the most likely length of the series is five games, but only gives a 30% chance of that. Gives a 52% chance that it goes either six or seven, uh, which would suggest a pretty close series. And that's not even knowing about the injuries that Boston has. So either way, it seems like it's shaping up to be a, uh, a pretty close, maybe six or seven game affair in either case. Okay, that'll do it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. As we previewed the playoffs, we'll be with you throughout the postseason, so please check your feed. Our podcast producers are Tony Chow and Katie Ferguson. Our podcast commissioner is Chad Matlin. Please keep sending us your questions and comments at podcast at 538.com. Whatever your favorite podcasting app is, we are there too, whether it's the Listen tab of the ESPN app or on Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe at iTunes.com slash 538. Wherever you find the show, be sure to review and rate it. It helps others discover the program. For Chris and Kyle, I'm Neil. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time and enjoy the first round of the playoffs.